Well, everybody, welcome back to the Ranking Presidents Podcast. I'm Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. We are on the positive half of the 20th century. And that is crazy that we've stuck to this for this long. I know, right? Yeah. I was like, okay, maybe we'll get past Jefferson and then get bored. Yeah. <laughs> nope. We've gotten all the way to JFK himself. John F. Kennedy. And uh, I believe that you wanted to deliver a content warning for this episode yes, yes. to start so, with. Okay. So just to tell everyone, we're going to break down JFK into two parts. First part, we're going to discuss about his early career, as well as his sexual life yep. and the yep. assassination. Yep. Next episode, we'll cover his presidency. So fair warning, this is going to get a little, little hot and heavy, so you know. If you're not comfortable with that, you know, go listen to some other podcast or hide your kids, hide your wife. <laughs> yeah, this, this this carries with it a hard PG-13 to R rating. Yep, it does. <laughs> All right, but Curtis, who was JFK? Because JFK is one of those sort of mythologized presidents. Yep, yep, yep. He's, he's definitely, like, kind of lifted up on a pillar on both sides. Because, like, I have heard many conservatives, like, speak fondly mm-hmm. of JFK. Yeah. And I was wondering, um, was your dad old enough... To remember the JFK days. Yeah, my dad actually remembers. He says when he was a kid and he was sitting in school, they put up a picture of JFK and Richard Nixon. They said, these two men are running for president. And he remembers that. Nice. He also remembers when JFK was assassinated, they pulled them aside at school and put on the TV and said, this is what's happening. Wow. So, that was a that was kind of like that generation's 9-11. Yeah, was, absolutely. Know, the president getting shot. Like, that's crazy. It yeah. hadn't happened in like, what, like... 60, 70 years? Yeah, it hadn't happened since McKinley. And yeah. this is now the era of television, so yep. add that on top of it. And my dad was not born yet. No. But we'll get we'll get to his thoughts when we get to the Nixon presidency. Mm, old <laughs> tricky dick himself. Yep. So, okay. Let's start off with uh, JFK's early life. Mm-hmm. So he was the first president born in the 20th century. Ah, that we, I was actually saying that yesterday. Our last episode. Yep, May 29th, ninth, nineteen seventeen. Like well into that. That just that just exhibits like how young he was as president. Yeah. What's crazy about that is that's actually a little bit younger than my grandma on my mom's side. Yep. She had a child, a child later in life, so she was born in nineteen fourteen. So Whoa. That's, that's kind of crazy to think about. Man, I thought my granddad was old because he was born in twenty. Wow. That is impressive. Crazy. All right, so JFK was born to two wealthy parents from Boston. Mm-hmm. His father, Joseph, had made a fortune on the stock market and miraculously took his stock out before the 1929 crash. Hmm. Let, now, let me, let me, let me, that, that deserves a... Hmm. <laughs> I, I doubt that. <laughs> like, I'm going to say shenanigans were afoot with that one. Yep. So, okay, though though the ensuing Great Depression gripped the nation, Jack, which was one of uh, JFK's nicknames, and his eight siblings enjoyed a privileged childhood of elite private schools, mm. sailboats, servants, and summer homes. Mm. He's just living it up during the Great Friggin' Depression. A fancy boy. Kennedy later claimed that his only experience of the Great Depression came from what he read in books while attending Harvard University. <laughs> if that ain't the most uppity thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, that's that's even more uppity than FDR's upbringing. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll have to... One day we'll have to compare, like, the GDPs for, like, different wealthy presidents' families. Because, like, obviously the Roosevelts are up there, yeah. Kennedys are up there, obviously the Trumps are up there. Yeah. It makes sense why he was sort of viewed as royalty, because he basically, yeah. he kind of was like a little yeah. aristocrat. Mm-hmm. Now, JFK was sick 
for much of his childhood, as we will talk about throughout his life. Um, so most of his childhood was spent recovering from various illnesses, such mm-hmm. as colitis, which is like a uh, disease of the colon. Mm-hmm. In 1938, on the eve of the Second World War, President FDR appointed Joseph P. Kennedy, John's father, to the key post of ambassador to the United Kingdom. The new ambassador was unsympathetic to British preparedness policies and found a cool reception in London. That year, Jack inherited $1 million. A small loan. $1 million. <laughs> a small loan. JFK Jr. will come back. He'll make me president again. The Q shaman told me. <laughs> he has personal relations with the Kennedys. We need to do a special secret president episode about the Q shaman. Yeah. Right next to our Jefferson Davis episode. You know, when we talk about Trump, and we definitely will have to talk about Q, I'm just going to spend the time saying now Q has no relations, the impractical joker known as Q, but he might be. <laughs> but he might be. Um, so, but I love I love that the Miller Center is like super centrist with a lot of things. Yeah. Because I, I ripped this directly from him. So that year, Jack inherited $1 million from his family, but his ambition remained strong. <laughs> <laughs> he was very ambitious. He remained strong. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps. And that small loan. <laughs> While in England with his father, he wrote his senior essay for Harvard University on England's lack of readiness for the Second World War. It was published and was well-received by critics, becoming a bestseller under the title Why England Slept. That's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Okay. He then went to Berlin, where the U.S. diplomatic representative gave him, a young JFK, a secret message about war breaking out soon to pass on to his father and to Czechoslovakia before returning to London on September 1st, 1939, the day that Germany invaded Poland to mark the beginning of World wow. War II. I did not know he was around. He yep, was there. yep. Two days later, the family was in the House of Commons for speeches endorsing the United Kingdom's declaration of war on Germany. He was... He, the Kennedys had their sticky fingers on all kinds of stuff. They did. All right, so let's talk a little bit about his early career. So starting off with his military service, which I was not super familiar with. I didn't. I was actually going to ask that if he was involved in the military. Yeah, I, I didn't know he was. In, uh, he served at all. After Kennedy graduated from Harvard, the United States entered World War II. His efforts to join the U.S. Navy were initially thwarted by his ill health, but after his father intervened... (laughs) (laughs) Daddy, please get me into the Navy. (laughs) He was eventually admitted and assigned to serve in the South Pacific, commanding a small motor torpedo boat, or PT boat. Kennedy and his crew participated in the campaign to wrest thousands of islands from Japanese control. In August 1943, as the sailors were sleeping without posting a watch in violation of naval regulations, a Japanese destroyer rammed his boat the PT-109, towing a badly burned crewmate by a life jacket strap clenched in his teeth. Kennedy led the crew's 10 survivors on a three-mile swim to refuge on a tiny island. I I vaguely actually remember hearing about this. I think it was in one TV show. That is insane. Wow. The crew hid on the island from the enemy for days until Kennedy managed to summon help. Okay, okay, the dude was kind of a hero for that. Yeah. Can't really fault him yeah. for that. Yeah, because, like, that, he should have, he probably should have been, you know, killed yeah. in most circumstances. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wildly credited with the rescue of his crew, Kennedy received the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps Medal for Valor and a Purple Heart for injuries he sustained. Nevertheless, he returned home to a Navy inquiry on the sinking. Although a board found evidence of poor seamanship, the Navy needed heroes more than it needed scapegoats. I like right. I like how the Miller Center put that. Yeah. And Kennedy was cast as the former to build public morale and recruited to go on speaking tours. Mm-hmm. 
The war ended in 1945, but not without a deep cost to the Kennedy family. The oldest son, Joseph Jr., a pilot, was killed on a bombing mission in Europe. Handsome and outgoing, Joseph had been the one tapped by his father to become president one day. Okay. Upon his death, his... I'm sure that's the last bad thing that will ever happen to the Kennedys. Oh, yeah. Nothing bad will ever happen to them after that. We're good now. (laughs) Upon his death, his father's aspirations fell to jaw. (laughs) You are the next one in the family. (laughs) You must pass on my legacy. All right, so after being discharged from the Navy, John Kennedy worked... And that's so weird calling him John Kennedy. Yeah, we're so you saying JFK. It's like, it's like calling him Franklin Roosevelt. It's FDR. Good old Johnny Kennedy. <laughs> after, okay, worked briefly as a reporter for the Hearst newspapers. And in 1946, the 29-year-old Kennedy won election in the U.S. Congress representing a working-class Boston district. Hmm. Working class voted for this snooty boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically, FDR was very snooty. There you go. And, I mean, you have the whole Trump situation. Yeah. This has been going back way back to when Theodore Roosevelt, not Theodore Roosevelt, uh, Thomas Jefferson convinced everyone he was the working man, the common man, (laughs) over that elite John Adams. (laughs) John Adams was such an elite. Yeah. He served three terms in the U.S. House of Representatives, earning a reputation as a somewhat conservative Democrat. Okay. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, he was re-elected in 1948 and again in 50. In 52, he ran for the U.S. Senate and defeated the Republican incumbent from another Massachusetts family with a long political history, Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. Mm, that actually is impressive to beat an incumbent in yeah. the Senate. That same year, he met Jacqueline Bouvier at a dinner party and, as he later put it, quote, Leaned across the asparagus and asked her for a date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds like old Jack. Yep. The two were married a year later and had three children, one of whom died in infancy in August 1963, which we will touch on in a second. Due to his continuing poor health, Kennedy had one of the worst attendance records in Congress. His real achievements in the Senate were few, but almost immediately after election, he began angling for even higher office. In 56, he mounted a serious quest for the, for the vice presidential spot alongside presidential hopeful Adley Stevenson. He narrowly lost the bid to Estes Kofover, a senator from Tennessee. Um, and ultimately, like p- historical um, and political theorists um, say that him not winning the vice presidential bid was a blessing for Kennedy because they got annihilated by, an, by Eisenhower. Yeah, Eisenhower election. destroyed them. Yeah, so that, that probably was good that that wasn't on Kennedy's record as a yep. failure. Re-elected to the Senate in 1958, Kennedy became a member of its Influential Foreign Relations Committee, which he used as a platform to attack President Eisenhower's diplomatic and military policies. Okay. Claiming that the United States was on the wrong side of a, quote, missile gap. Hmm. <laughs> this doesn't sound like, this isn't, does this remind you of anything? <laughs> no, nothing bad's gonna happen. We don't have enough missiles. We need more <laughs> missiles. <laughs> With the Soviet Union. Kennedy continued to press these themes as he began maneuvering to get the Democratic nomination for the 1960 presidential election. So yeah, um, then he became president. Yeah, Spoiler obviously. alert. <laughs> Beating old Tricky Dick. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about his family. Kennedy met his future wife, Jacqueline Lee Jackie Bovier, when he was a congressman. Charles L. Bartlett, a journalist, introduced the pair at a dinner party. As I mentioned, yeah, they were married a year after he was elected senator on September twelfth, nineteen fifty three. After suffering a miscarriage in nineteen fifty five and a stillbirth in nineteen fifty six, that is terrible. Wow, 
Their daughter, Carolyn, was born in 57 and is the only surviving member of JFK's immediate family. John Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr., nicknamed John John by the press as a child, was born in late November 1960. Seventeen days after his father was elected, John Jr., a graduate of Brown University, died in 1999. Yeah, in a plane crash. Yep, when, when the small plane he was piloting crashed en route to Martha's Vineyard. In 1963, months before JFK's assassination, Jackie gave birth to a son, Patrick. However, he died after two days due to complications from birth. Poor wow. Jackie. Really sucked for the Kennedys. Yeah. Soon enough, John Kennedy started to notice the value that his wife added to his congressional campaign. Of course. Kenneth O'Donnell remembered that, quote, the size of the crowd was twice as big, unquote, when she accompanied her husband. He also recalled her as, quote, always cheerful and obliging. John's mother, Rose observe Jacqueline as not being, quote, a natural-born campaigner due to her shyness and being uncomfortable with too much attention. In November 1958, John was re-elected to its second term. He credited Jacqueline's visibility in both ads and stumping as vital assets in securing his victory, and he called her simply invaluable. I mean, I feel like a lot of women in our family in particular really idolize Jacqueline Kennedy. Yeah, like Jackie Kennedy is, like, iconic. Yes, so let's talk a little bit about religion and his uh, relationship with that. I, ah, I wanted, this, is, this is actually pretty critical for his presidency. So his, his thoughts and beliefs on race are like very tied into his politics, so I wanted to wait on race until next week. Good, good idea. But I want to talk religion this week. As the first Catholic president. Yes, that is big. And we've only had two up to this point, and the second one is currently in office. Uh-huh. Kennedy was himself not incredibly religious. He kept the rights, but he was not very personally connected to it. And he, w- he was married at, like, a mass and all that, and he was, he was very ceremonial, but it didn't strike me as overly religious. It um, probably helped him because... Oh, yeah. You have to remember, at this point, America is still, like, not all that... Not, that they're, they're not all that fond of Catholicism, your average Funny American. Funny you should mention that. Mm-hmm. Anti-Catholic prejudice was still very much in the mainstream of American life when JFK decided to seek the presidency. Only one Catholic, Governor Alfred E. Smith of New York, had ever been the presidential nominee of one of the major parties. Mm-hmm. We talked about him, and yep. he didn't do too well. Smith's 1928 campaign was dogged by claims that he would build a tunnel connecting the White House and the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> How would that even work? We're going to build go across the ocean. It's like, that is b- bonkers. And would amend the Constitution to make Catholicism the nation's established religion. Yeah, of course. (laughs) He was overwhelmingly defeated, even losing much of the then-democratic Solid South. JFK established an informal network of advisors on the religious issue, including speechwriter Ted Sorensen, Dean Francis Bowes Sayre Jr. of the National Cathedral, and several journalists. It was clear from the outset that Kennedy had to enter the state primaries to prove to skeptical party leaders that he was a viable national candidate. In the Wisconsin primary, he defeated Senator Hubert Humphrey with 56% of the vote, but failed to win a majority of the Protestant vote. An ominous sign. Uh-oh. All right, so let's talk a little bit about his presidency and uh, with a side of ham. Mm. President Did you Trump- mean his personality? You yeah. said his presidency. Oh, uh, yeah. Personality. Yeah. Yep. Presidency, uh, that doesn't exist yet. No, not yet. <laughs> Haven't done it yet. Okay. Okay, so his physical description and a little bit more on his illnesses. Although he was muscular and athletic, his health generally was poor. He suffered from chronic backaches and was in pain much of his adult life. Injury in World War II aggravated his back condition. In 54, he underwent a spinal fusion surgery. Following 
which he developed a nearly fatal infection oh, wow. and received the last rites of the Catholic Church. They were like, this dude is going to die. Wow. He rallied, but his back plagued him for the rest of his life. He wore a canvas back brace for support and found some relief in treatments administered by Dr. Janet Travel of New York. From 1946, Kennedy also suffered from an adrenal insufficiency, an ailment akin to Addison's disease. Mm. With cortisone and later cort- uh, cortisone steroid tablets, this was controlled. In 1951, Kennedy contracted a fever in Japan and was near death with a 106-degree temperature. That is really high Whoa. temperature. <laughs> and then the presidential ham hard cuts to Kennedy dressed fashionably but had an aversion to hats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never saw him in a hat. Nope. He had that pretty hair. Yep. So, okay, his personality. Kennedy described himself as, quote, an idealist without illusions. <laughs> <laughs> and considered his best quality to be curiosity, his worst irritability. Kennedy's charm, grace, and wit were to a great extent responsible for his immense popularity as president. He seemed distant to some, but according to historian and Kennedy aide, Arthur M. Schlesinger, he remained a bit detached in order to counter his extremely sensitive nature. Mm. That's interesting. For the most part, he controlled his temper. Kenneth P. O'Donnell and other longtime associates reported that he exploded in anger only twice as a national figure, once over a scheduling foul-up near the end of the 1960 presidential campaign, and again during the confrontation with the steel industry. Huh. Hmm. That sounds like we're going to be getting into it next week. Yeah. The Kennedy style, idealized after his death as the romance of the mythical Camelot, was, according to Schlesinger, simply, quote, the triumph, hard-bought, and well-earned of a gallant and collected human being over the anguish of life. (laughs) He kind of almost sounds like this really, like, this really popular aristocrat. Yep. Like the, the golden prince. Now, in Aogram, he was what seems to be a seven. Mm, Which, like, sevens are the most pleasure-seeking. Yeah, yeah, we'll see that in a second. <laughs> but they they also have a tendency to kind of, like, detach themselves from their own emotions because they don't want to, like, feel, like, the core emotions. They just want to, like, feel, like, more, like, kind of uh, skin-deep, like, yeah, pleasurable things. The yeah, rush. yeah. And they're, like, very, like, um, adventure-seeking, too. Mm. Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, let's see, uh, moving on from there, we have a final caucus for everybody. No, we do not. What? That's not it? No, not it. Well, first of all, we have... And and then we'll have to talk about some sexual matters. Oh, dearest me. But first, all right, stay of the nation. So, it's the 1960s. Nothing was going on in the 1960s, clearly. No, no, it wasn't complete chaos. But let's take a look at a few events. So, first off, on February 1st, 1960... Four black students from the North Carolina Agriculture and Technical College stage a sit-in at a segregated Woolworth lunch counter. Oh, we got some movement. To protest their denial of service. The four students knew this could possibly get killed. After all, Emmett Till had been killed for far less. Yep. Look up that story if you want to know it's more about that. horrific but important to yeah. know. But still, they did it. One student named Franklin McCain said as a teenager he, he felt suicidal due to the trauma of living under segregation. But when he sat down, quote, this is from later in his life, almost instantaneously, after sitting down on a simple dumb stool, I felt so relieved. I felt so clean. I felt as though I had gained a little bit of my manhood by that simple act. Wow. Now, a cop would come up and pace back and forth, slapping his nightstick against his hand, but nothing really happened. 
At one point, an elder... Nothing really happened, like, physically to them by the cop. Mm-hmm. At one point, an elderly woman came up to McCain and said she was disappointed in them. When McCain said, ma'am, why are you disappointing us for asking me to serve like everyone else? Then the woman looked at him, put her hand on his friend Joe McNeil's shoulder and said, I'm disappointed it took you so long to do this. Oh, And this would spark a number of such protests throughout the country. And another thing that happened, the first manned suborbital space flight is completed with Commander Alan B. Shepard Jr., a name you'll surely never hear from again. 1960s, we got civil rights and we got space. Yep. He launched 116.5 miles above the Earth inside a Mercury Redstone capsule. He would land the Atlantic Ocean and have to be recovered. And 20 days after this, JFK would famously do his We're Going to the Moon Boys speech. Mm. Probably his most famous speech. Oh, yeah. So let's get into some gossip. So, JFK was a spicy man. <laughs> That's what and I put it. I just want to start with a quote. This quote says, If I don't have sex every day, I get a headache. Oh, uh, <laughs> he said that. JFK yeah. said that. Yeah, JFK. And although he was married to the famously beautiful brunette Jackie, he preferred other women. He famously saying, I got into the blondes. Oh, no. And Kennedy, he had a assistant, Dave Powers, who was known as First Friend. Thirst Friend? First Friend. Oh, First Friend. Yeah, it might okay. as well have been Thirst Friend. Yeah, yeah, I was about because to say. Because his main job was to find beautiful willing women willing to sleep with the president. That oh, was his main job. Seriously? Yeah. The oh. first friend. And let's just say some of these women had a very interesting past. So let's get into it. So he would use the Secret Service to smuggle women in and out of the White House, which caused some issues. Yeah. One secret agent would say, everyone thought you were risking your life, and you were actually out there to see that he's not disturbed while he's having an interlude in the shower with two gals from 12th Avenue. Whoa. So they didn't really like it. They thought their job would be more like, hey, let's protect the president. It's like, no, we're just shuffling women in and out. Yeah. So let's take a look at the first few of his affairs. First, you have Mimi Alford, a 19-year-old intern at the White House. Sketchy. Four days into her job, JFK seduced her and took her virginity in the bedroom of his wife. Whoa. What? Yep. That's just what we're starting with. Oh, goodness. Yep. She would continue the affair with him for 18 months. Whoa. Including giving sexual favors to his friends. Oh, no. According to her memoir, Once Upon a Secret, JFK dared her to give a blowjob to his Dave Powers, the first friend. Uh. So we got some greasy stuff. Yikes. But it only gets greasier. He also had two secretaries, Priscilla Ware and Jill Cowan. Known as Fiddle and Faddle. Oh, no. Whose only real job was to have sex with the president. They would skinny dip with him and go on trips with him abroad. And Secret Service actually came up with those names to hide the affair from Jackie. But at one point, when Jackie was giving a tour of the White House with a French journalist, Priscilla, Fiddle, passed by them. And Jackie said, well, this is the girl who's supposedly sleeping with my husband. Oh, no. Yep. Now, of course, the most infamous affair was with the star herself, Marilyn Monroe. That's the one I've heard of. Yep. She was especially fond of JFK. And during the Democratic rally on May 1962, she personally gave a song called Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Mm. So I'm going to read you the lyrics of that and JFK response. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. Thanks, Mr. President, for all the things you've done, the battles you've won, the way you deal with U.S. Steel, and our problems by the ton. We thank you so much. So, my horrible singing doesn't matter. And JFK responded, I thought you were beautiful. Thank you. 
ladies and gentlemen, and when she said the ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, he said, thank you. I can now retire from politics after having the, had the birthday sang to me in such a sweet way. Oh, man. Now, Monroe, now, Jackie, okay, how did Jackie deal with all oh, this? Yeah, I was about to say, how much did Jackie know? So Jackie pretty much knew all of it, but she kind of had this notion of like, well, you know, that's just the price you got to pay. But Monroe bothered Jackie more than any other affair due to both her stance in the public eye and how much Monroe especially liked JFK. At one point, according to one biographer, Monroe called Jackie on the phone saying, Jack asked me to marry her and I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry him. And Jackie said in response, Marilyn, you'll marry Jack. That's great. And you move into the White House and you assume the responsibilities of the First Lady. And I'll move out and you'll have all the problems. Oh, man. But here's, here's the weird thing. This happened not long before Marilyn Monroe mysteriously died by way of a barbiturate overdose. Oh, wow. Okay. And she was also supposedly having an affair with Bobby Kennedy, his younger brother, at the same time. So... All right, all right, Brad. What What's the percentage chance that she was assassinated? I'm going to give it at least a 50% chance. Woo! That's just that's just a little too... Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of coincidences. Yeah, you just... You call Jackie on the phone, and then all of a sudden you're dead of... Not long afterwards. So Jackie herself knew of the affairs. Once Ryan, she knew of it before she even got married. And she said, quote, He's like my father in a way. Loves the chase and is bored with the conquest. And once married, needs proof he's still attractive, so flirts with other women and resents you. I think he was as much in love with me as he could be with anyone. And now maybe he will get want to get married because a sinner needs a wife. But if he ever does ask me to marry him, it'll be for rather practical reasons because his career is driz driving this driving thing with him. So she was kind of like, all right, like, I guess he's like his dad. He's like my dad. You know, I'll just, you know, bear it quietly oh, as long man. as you don't embarrass me. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's like, it seems like we're starting to get a theme of like some first ladies are like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll marry you for like the, the clout. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, I guess I'll marry you because I need a wife to be in politics. Yep. Now, a few other spicy ones. He allegedly had an affair with one Judith Exner who arranged a meeting between him and Sam Giancana, the capo of the Chicago Mafia. Ah, uh, yes, we get to the mob. Yeah. Who supposedly helped buy support for JFK during his presidential run. Now, this one's we're not quite sure, but eh, I'm inclined to believe it. Yep. <laughs> JFK also had sex with Ellen Romichis, who was a Soviet spy. Oh, <laughs> And after he found this out, he's like, all right, I'm going to deport you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you, you got to go now. Yep. And one of the funniest ones, he had sex with Marlene Dietrich, a famous Hollywood actress who had also had sex with his father, Joe Kennedy. Oh. And she would famously say the sex was so quick she could barely remember it. And she said to JFK during the event, don't muss my hair, I'm performing. Oh, uh, wow, that, that is actually How amazing. greasy do you have to be to be like, ooh, that one my dad was with, I really want her. Oh, man. Now, JFK survived politically because since Monroe didn't spill the beans, and people were more careful with the president. Yeah. So people would see them running in and out, and they'd be like, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell him the president. Now, before we get into the assassination, I want to have a fun fact. Jackie did have, you know, relations with the president from time to time, but he had some issues. Really? <laughs> yes. Mainly, he was known for being too fast and then going straight to bed. <laughs> oh, what? Wow. He did... You didn't even, like, help the other person yeah. out. But, but, one of Jackie's doctors, Frank Fernity, was up to the task to improve the president's prowess. <laughs> <laughs> now, Fernity, who was Jackie's doctor, 
helped her use an approach to discuss their sex lives, including using more foreplay. Her and Jack talked about it, and she later told the doctor her sex life had improved as a result. Good, good work. According to a pro book entitled Grace and Power, The Private World of Kenny Whitehouse by Sally Bedell Smith, Jackie learns the problems in the bedroom hadn't been her fault. But, you know, Jack, Jack Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's make a hard left turn and talk about a little thing. It's the big elephant in the room. It's the assassination of JFK. Arguably what he's most known for, yeah, unfortunately. We want to get this out of the way so it wouldn't sort of drag down when we're actually talking about his presidency. Yeah, because like we want, we want to weigh his presidency fairly. Yep. So everyone knows the story by now. Stephen King actually wrote a book about it. It's called 112263. He actually loved JFK so much, Stephen King, he would call him, he was the last true gunslinger, you see? <laughs> so, on that day, November 22nd, 1963, the Kennedys were in an open car in Dallas, alongside Governor John Connolly and his wife Nellie. The governor was suddenly hit, as was Kennedy. He was shot twice in the head. Police then arrested a warehouse employee, Lee Harvey Oswald, who was a former Marine. And he had actually defected to the Soviet Union at one point and came back with a wife, Marina Oswald Porter. She is actually still alive to this day. Really? And initially said her husband did it, but as we said recently, he was actually innocent. So let's talk a little bit about Oswald. First off, he was actually a distant relative of Robert E. Lee. Lee? Really? Yeah. Now, as a child, he was known for being a truant and often ignored by his parents. And one social worker would say, uh, this poor kid's kind of pathetic, like no one really gives a darn about him. He would, as a young boy, find a pamphlet about the execution of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg for their role in selling secrets to the Soviet Union. From then on, he became interested in socialism and communism. He would later join the Marines and was a good shot, but wound himself with a pistol he wasn't supposed to have. He was then court-martialed for this upon kitchen police duty. He then assaulted a sergeant who put him on that duty and is court-martialed again. From there, he starts learning Russia, and after many attempts, he gets to go to the Soviet Union. He claims it's because he's a Marxist, but... One KJB offer, Vashilov Nikolnov, had his doubts. Oswald looked very suspicious to KJB and to the Minsk factory authorities because he was not interested in Marxism. He didn't attend any Marxist classes. He didn't read any Marxist literature. And he didn't attend even the labor union meetings. So the question was, what was he doing there? That is so weird. Yep. And one year later, Oswald got bored and wanted to go back. He would say, the work is drab. The money I get has nowhere to be spent. As my Russia improves, they become increasingly conscious of just what sort of a society he would live in. He would marry Marina Prusha, Prusha Kava, whose uncle worked for Soviet domestic intelligence. Whoa. But then, in 1962, him, Marina, and his daughter go back to the U.S. And he defects again, basically, the U.S. Now, back home, Oswald gets interested with Cuba. And he also gets interested in taking out one certain general, General Edwin Walker, Edwin Walker was an anti-communist who had been fired by Kennedy for preaching right-wing extremism to troops. Walker himself was also a segregationist. Oswald believed he was a fascist and a future Hitler. And so, Oswald got a gun and shot in Walker's window. He thought he killed him, but Walker was fine. And this is where we get the famous picture of Oswald holding the gun, because his wife took a picture of him holding the gun that he used to fire at Walker, which then he used to fire at Kennedy. Oh, okay. He then goes to New Orleans and started hanging out pro-Cuba leaflets and views Fidel Castro as a hero. But at the same time, he also visits an anti-Castro militant, so it's really hard to know what he's doing. <laughs> he later ends up in Mexico City, where he talks to the Soviet embassy to try to get into Cuba, but he is rebuffed. After his trip, he returns to Dallas, where his family lives there, and there he planned out his final assassination plans. Now, most famously, Oswald himself, after shooting Kennedy, was killed by Jack Ruby a Dallas nightclub owner two days after his arrest. 
Ruby then died in prison in 1967. It's tough to know why Ruby killed Oswald. It's possible he feared the Jewish community, he was Jewish, would be blamed for the assassination. It's also possible Ruby had mob connections. Yeah, that, that's that's what my dad thinks. Yeah. But Ruby was also known for being very violent on Hinge, fighting with his customers in the bar multiple times. He would also say to the press, quote, this is from Ruby, everything pertaining to what's happened has never come to service. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred. My motives. <laughs> and also, Ruby was visited by the Compsis, who were owners of an Italian restaurant chain, which might have had mob ties. So... The murder of JFK was horrible for many Americans, as hundreds of thousands of people were attending his funeral. With the most famous image I think most people have of it is when three-year-old JFK Jr. saluted his father's casket. Yeah. Really heartbreaking image. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about some conspiracy theories, because there are a lot of them. And I asked our Twitter followers how many of them thought Oswald actually did it. And 60% of them said he did do it, but 40% either said he didn't do it or he had other help. Mm. So that's a, that's an interesting split there. So Brad, if the good people that don't follow us wanted to follow us, where would they follow us? Yes, you can follow us, thank you, on Twitter at President's Rank with a capital P and R. And we also have a Patreon if you'd like to give us some money. <laughs> give us the money. Give us the money. All right, so back to conspiracy theories. Okay. Did Oswald work alone? Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren said he did. The House Select Committee of Assassinations said he was probably assassinated as a result of conspiracy, though. So there are a lot of conspiracy things, theories about went on. For one, there's one theory that there was someone who impersonated Oswald and made phone calls and visits to Soviet and Cuban embassies in Mexico City. J. Edgar Hoover said, The Central Intelligence Agency advised on October 1st, 1963, an extremely sensitive source had reported that an individual identified himself as Lee Oswald contacted the Soviet embassy to Mexico City, inquiring as to any messages. Special agents of this bureau have conversed with Oswald in Dallas, Texas, have served photographs of the individual referred to above, and have listened to recording of his voices. These special agents have the opinion that the referred to individual was not Lee Harvey Oswald. Johnson, in turn, urged Chief Justice Earl Warren to join the commission, worried that the war with communism would kill millions if people started to think communists had killed JFK. Deputy Attorney General Old Kajenbach said, Speculations about Oswald's motivations ought to be cut off, and we should have some basis for rebutting that this was a communist conspiracy, or as a right-wing conspiracy. He also wrote, The public must be satisfied that Oswald was the assassin, that he did not have Confederates who were still at large, and that the evidence has, was such that he would have been convicted at trial. Four days after Kajenbach's memo, Johnson formed the Warren Commission with Earl Warren as chairman and Senator Richard Russell as a member. So, there's a lot of theories that came out about this. One is the most famous one, the Grassy Knoll theory. Ah, so uh, the Grassy Knoll. There was a Grassy Knoll nearby, and someone claimed there's a shooter hiding there. Many fictional accounts actually look into this, just the Umbrella Academy. Cool thing. That was a cool episode. But let's get an expert to talk about this. So, Dave Perry is actually an expert on the matter. He's been digging through the records and assassinations since 1976. And he's addressed a few people. So, he debunks, he thinks he can debunk all of them except one. Let's go into the ones he debunks first. The first theory is that LBJ had it done. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. This was based on statements by Madeleine Brown, who claimed to have an affair with LBJ, and she claimed that he said to her the night before the assassination, after tomorrow, those Kennedys will never embarrass me again. That's no threat. That's a promise. (laughs) Perry says there's no evidence for it, and Brown was a crackpot, and that this might have emerged just because Texans didn't like LBJ. The second is that the military did it because JFK wanted the military out of Vietnam. 
Perry said that's not correct because JFK never made a claim about trying to pull the military out of Vietnam. Now we obviously have the mob. The Chicago, Miami, New Orleans mob all have claimed at some point that they did it, but this is all kind of hearsay. Second was that Oswald was part of an unknown conspiracy. It's possible there were people who helped him, but they weren't part of any larger group. And Perry actually points out John Wilkes Booth, when he shot Lincoln, four people were hung for helping him, including Mary Surratt, the first woman to be hung. Yep. Fifth was CIA, and Perry said this is the only one he can't debunk. What, the CIA one? Yep. I thought it was going to be the mob one. Yeah. Supposedly, Kennedy was, in this quote from him, was fed up with the shenanigans the CIA was pulling. He found out the CIA was trying to kill Fidel Castro, which is a fact. Which is something that Eisenhower started. Yep. So the argument is the CIA felt that Kennedy was going to disband them. As a result of that, they were the ones that ordered the killing of Kennedy. Prey points out that the former head of the CIA, Alan Dulles, was a member of the Ward Commission, the special panel tasked with the official investigation of the assassination. The commission oh, that determined Oswald acted alone. Oh, that's interesting. And we know Oswald was in the Russian embassy in Mexico City. So that might have been a lie that that wasn't Oswald at the embassy. We even know who he talked to, but we don't know what was said. Then a few weeks later, he shoots Kennedy. And may have been something they overheard involving him and the Russians. Or maybe the CIA had Oswald on the payroll. He might have been a double agent. Is it possible the Russians ordered Oswald to do it? Not likely, Perry. The Russians would have never ordered Oswald to kill the Kennedy because of his well-known links to Russian and pro-Cuban sympathies. Russian leaders knew that they would have been the first suspects if they'd engineered an assassination by Oswald. Good and, all this, and all the stuff I'm quoting is from a CNN article. It would have been an act of war, which could have triggered a nuclear attack. Ultimately, we need to know what happened in Mexico City, Perry said. And Perry thought the answer might have been revealed in 2017, when the Trump administration made public a number of previously classified CIA documents. But Perry said he was disappointed in these documents because they didn't release any of the good stuff. The documents failed to reveal any new details about what Oswald said during his visit to the Russian embassy in Mexico City. So either we already know the truth, Oswald acted alone, or worst case scenario, we may never know the whole truth, prompting one more question surrounding the killing of JFK. Would America be okay with that? Oh, do you think it was a CIA, Brett? I don't know, because I looked up more into this, and people have said, oh, the Mexico City something is proven, but all they really prove is that we don't really know what happened in yeah. Mexico City. I, oh... This is a tough one. I think it's certainly possible that the CIA might have, like, planted some seeds. Yeah. But I don't know if they were as involved as that. Yeah, I, you, don't, you don't know if they actually pulled the trigger. Yeah. It's, 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 I just don't know if they would go that, they might go that far to kill the president. We don't know. There's some secretive types. They are some secretive types. Like, oh, and uh, if they're listening, uh, we uh, love you. Yes, exactly. We love you, CIA. We're not accusing you of anything. No, 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 no. We're just, we're just presenting the facts. Yep, yep. <laughs> what do you think? Was JFK killed by uh, Jess Oswald or I someone mean, else involved? I think the John Wilkes Booth argument is actually one of the most compelling ones. It's like, you can't kill a president with just one person. Yeah. There's got to be some level of, like, maybe not conspiracy, but some kind of team. Yeah, exactly. There had to have been some sort of team. And I don't I don't think the Soviet Union literally ordered it because Oswald was kind of a he was un he was unhinged yeah, kind of no. a crackpot. Yeah. No. I think I think that he was he was definitely too like unstable to like be used by a foreign power. Mm. I think at the very least, like there were people who tried to kill the president and maybe they sort of influenced Oswald or you yeah. know, did something. Mm-hmm. It's one of those conspiracy theories that just never dies down because it's so weird. Yep. It's like, here you have a very popular president who's getting involved with a lot of stuff. And then you also have, like, the, the physics of, like, 
the bullet and mm-hmm. how like from like where people think he got shot from like the bullet would have had to like have make some kind of curving motion or something yeah like, yeah what kind of magic bullet would have killed kennedy yeah yeah magneto magneto obviously <laughs> i think that was a plot point in one of the x-men movies actually that would make sense yep. Um, it's 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 not it's not a superheroes movie unless it has something to do with the Kennedy assassination. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I uh, I think it was. I don't I don't know if it was a CIA. That'd be a pretty deep. That that's some deep state right there. Yeah, that's really deep. Like, <laughs> and if they were willing to kill Kennedy, why did they never try again with any other president? Unless no other president really opposed them. But yeah, I I I, I kind of doubt that. Yeah, it's just kind of. I don't know that. Uh, I, I'm waffling on that one. <laughs> that was his waffling sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that. Um, I mean, it does seem like the Kennedys had some kind of mafia ties at some point. Yeah, like yeah. like both like. It seems like uh, JFK's dad was a little crooked. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, sketchy. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, the mafia was sort of around them at all points. It's like, oh, and then you have the Soviet spy that Kennedy sleeps with. Yep, yep. It's just all so scandalous. Like, yeah. no matter where you look in the Kennedys, there's a conspiracy theory just around the corner. Mm-hmm. But you, do you have a final caucus for us? I do indeed. All right. And uh, it, it's predicated on the, the sexy things we discussed. All right, so... Set up with the premise. Yes. It's only a matter of time before scandal strikes the White House again. Ooh. If a current president in our current time was involved in a sexual scandal during the presidency, how would America react? Ooh. How should America react? Ooh, I like this. Because at Kennedy's time, it was swept under the rug. Yep. Obviously. And before we get into this, I just want to say, I think it's interesting about Kennedy. I feel like Kennedy was the last sort of golden present where everyone thinks fondly. Because everyone yeah. after that is like, you had Vietnam, you had Watergate, you had scandals and scandals. Yeah, and like, the, like the wars and the and the politics get so much murkier, at least from a public opinion after that yeah. point. I think, okay, I think a lot of it would depend on the nature of the affair. Mm. Like... Is it all like consensual? Well, yeah that 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 would be that would be my second my second point, and I'll go ahead and bring it up. Is what if it's a sexual crime? Oh, okay. Well, let, let, let's start with just like all right. It comes out that President Gary Johnson in the future <laughs> uh, slept with his secretary in office. Yeah, I think people would care as much as they did during the Clinton era. Yeah, there would be. I feel like there'd be a lot less pearl clutching about it. Yeah. I think people would be like, eh, that's kind of greasy. But people would also be really interested and they want to find out more. Yeah, I mean, it would, it would like, destroy Twitter. Yeah, and I think the other party, whichever party that would be, would try to use that to sort of dig into the president's dirty laundry. Oh, definitely. I'd be like, well, we need to know, did he say secret secrets? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be like an impeachment thing. It would be more, let's dig into this. But they, it wouldn't go as far as the Bill Clinton. That's what I'm going to say. Mm. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, part of me thinks that there would be more pearl clutching if it was a Democrat president. Yeah, I think so. Um, because I mean, that's what happened. And like both Republicans and Democrats are a lot more polarized than they were in the nineties mm-hmm. when like their politics were pretty close in the nineties. Yep. Yep. Um, but now it's like crazy. And so, yeah, I could see, I could see like 
Republicans going insane if like Biden or someone had an affair. Yeah. Um, but that being said, do you think it's possible for a president to get me too? That's mm, an interesting one because Trump is obviously our big example because he's got a lot of things swirling around. A lot of allegations, which I'm sure we'll get into yeah. when uh, yeah. we tackle and, him. And Joe Biden, you know, I don't know of any active allegations, but he does there's, get a little too handsy, especially with the younger, younger, almost like teenager. There's some hearsay. Yeah. There's a few videos of him sniffing some hair here and there. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to be handsy. You know, that's just how I talk. Uh, uh, I, oh, I think it would have to be a, a Democrat president. Oh. Who would get me to. Because, here's the thing, in our current climate... I don't know if it's really possible to me to a Republican president. Really? Okay. Explain. Just because, like, the Republican, the way the Repo- the really hard right Republicanism of our time is, I don't think they would that constituency would really care no matter what that candidate did. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, what was that name of that guy who had raped all those teenagers? Roy Moore. Was oh, that his name? He, I forgot about that guy. Yeah. He got jettisoned from my mind a while back. Kind of COVID and the Trump yeah. election. Kind of jettisoned and Roy Moore. Yep. Man, thank goodness he's out of our lives. Yeah. So I think Republican, probably not, unless it was like a dominated Democrat Congress. Yeah. I think a Democrat, though, because like Democrats sometimes try to take the higher ground on that, I think it would have a little bit more impact. And yeah. I have an example of that. Do you remember Al Franken? Yes, yes, yeah. I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, he was in. I think he, I don't know if he was a senator. He might. He was in Congress, but he had a few instances where he did some touching or something, and he actually had to resign. Mm-hmm. So I think like a Democrat president would probably would be more inclined to either resign or something just because of how modern politics work and to get pressure from both sides. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then, like, finally, um, how should America react to either, like, an affair or, like, um, a sexual crime? Oh, that's tough. Because on the one hand, I think an affair is like, yeah, it's bad, but it's like, we kind of expect that with leaders. Yeah, unfortunately. And it's like, it's one of those things where, like, that's more of, like, a moral question. Yeah. As opposed to, like, oh, someone actually harmed someone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think... So, yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, you would think, like, sex crimes and affairs, they're two different things. But you could also argue kind of there's a third question to that. Like, can a president have sex with someone who's under them and not have that little bit level of coercion or creepiness what do you think oh yeah i think that um you can't it's almost impossible to separate that Mm -hmm. um and i think that for various reasons like um anybody who would be in that like salacious relationship like not being the president would absolutely be tempted to say like i mean you would uh, most people would believe if you were like oh yeah the president kind of came on to me and i was too intimidated to say no yeah i mean i didn't i yeah like i didn't like audibly tell them no but i wasn't feeling it but they were being creepy yeah 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 i think there should definitely be digging into it to find out okay was this actually a consensual thing yeah yeah like that would that would obviously be like the number one concern of mine 
Yeah. Whereas in like if if it came out of like a president like had an affair like I mean well, like a senator's wife or something. Yeah, I'd be like, okay. I mean, that's interesting. I don't think it really impacts like my thoughts about them and their abilities to govern. Yeah. Funny enough, there's actually a quote from a a show I was watching, a show, a very interesting show about Jesus, actually, called The Chosen, where he's just talking to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist off to go talk to Harry, and he just tells John, he's like, well, you see, people are always going to be interested by the sex lives of rulers, but you got to move on to other things. (laughs) (laughs) Telling him the truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, and I think affairs are always, like, the spiciest things to talk about. Like, yeah. ooh, look at who the president slept with. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think anyone was spicier than JFK. Yeah, yeah. Mul- multiple actresses, oh, a I, spy. I didn't think anybody could be spicier than Harding, but yeah. uh, JFK destroys it. Yeah. Do you think Harding and JFK would have been good buddies oh, and they swap some stories? They would have been the best of friends. Yeah, yeah. So... That was a pretty good final caucus, but stay tuned with us next time, because then we're actually going to get into his presidency, and surely nothing interesting will happen. <laughs> no, no, no. This is going to be a by-the-numbers presidency. He certainly didn't make good on his missiles promise. Nope, never at all. Well, thank you all for joining us. Once again, I'm Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. Stay ranking. Rank.